Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Um, We are continuing our series, Engaging the World Around Us. Now, this series was birthed out of a, a focus and a desire to change who we are. You see, um, we realized uh, last year, and, and honestly for a while now, that God has used grace in some mighty ways. 66 years, you, you see the many ways that God's used us. We were founded as a Bible teaching church because at that time there weren't churches teaching from Scripture. and wanted, We wanted to be a church where people could learn how to use their own Scriptures and learn from God himself and fall in love with him and him alone as they seek him in their lives. And so this church started as that. But it also was a church in response to the way churches were run at that time to make sure that we offer grace wherever you are, whoever you are, you can come and you can be a part of our congregation as we seek to follow the Lord. And so Grace Bible Church is how it was founded. And shortly thereafter, we began sending missionaries around the world to make sure God's message was declared in places that we don't live. And then through years after that, uh, Grace became known, I believe, for other things. Uh, We really cared about the family and making sure that uh, parents of kids and others within the congregation had opportunity. And so this became a multi-generational church that reached all demographics and ages, meaning that every single individual is wonderful and worth sharing with and worth helping develop as they grow and they seek the Lord. Uh, We added different ministries and Uh, As we look back at the 66 years, there's one area as we come into 2020 that we needed to grow in, and that was the area of evangelism, sharing Christ where you are. Are our people, are our saints, are our people that come here and worship here, are they actively sharing the faith in Jesus Christ? Are they actively living out in the world around them? And we want this year, 2020, to radically change our church, but also radically change you. This isn't a year of development so that we can go back to the way we were, but we want you to start 2020 here, and we want you to end 2020 here and never look back. It radically changed the way we live because we are in tune with the Spirit as we follow Him as He seeks to lead and reach people that are lost. And we want to be a part of that. We want to help you with that. And so we laid out this year-long development process, and to do it this way, to make it a part of our DNA, it will be a slow process. So when you hear campaign, a lot of people think it's about raising money. This one's about a spiritual campaign that's meant to get into the nooks and crannies of our spiritual life and help us mature in those areas so that we will respond in the Spirit. So it'll take a long time, it'll take a slower process to deeply ingrain into our lives so that we can change who we are, so we can look more like Jesus Christ when he walked on this earth. And so the way we've done this is last month we gave out the book Questioning Evangelism, many of you enjoyed and followed along with. This month we're challenging you to pray for your neighbors, pray for those people around you, grow in compassion and follow in God's footsteps of praying for those people as they come up to you. And so we want you to do that. We want to challenge you to do that. This sermon series specifically highlights what we're hopefully changing and becoming. And so it started with Andy giving a state of the church, which is what I just shared with you. The second one with Lucas actually shared how important love is to share in the gospel, how important love is to walk in with Jesus and being a believer in Jesus and how that's shared and displayed throughout our lives. Um, And then last week, Andy shared how doing good is good too. Like 
good actions and faithful living uh, to care for those in need actually open up opportunities. And he gave illustrations like at Callier Elementary School. If we hadn't spent six years going over there and tutoring and helping out with their after school clubs and maybe even helping them re, uh, redesign a couple of things at their school, we would, we would have never had the open door that we have now with Kids Beach Club where kids are actively coming in and they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ on a public school campus. So today we're going to look at the next step. Today, we're going to look at who is my neighbor going to Jerusalem? Who is my neighbor going to Jerusalem? And today, in today's sermon, my hope is to dispel some myths about what evangelism is. In our mind, we typically view it in one category, I think, maybe two, maybe three if we're real gifted, but really expand what evangelism is and stay faithful to what scripture actually tells us to do. But then also provide you how attainable it is for each and every one of us in our daily life. Each and every one of us. And a lot of it is because of what Jesus Christ said for us to do. And so if you want to join us in this, then keep listening. If not, I understand, but I'll be praying for you as I'm up here. You see, today we are going to look at what Luke wrote that I think was his intention to be the most important central aspect of his two letters. You see, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the Acts of the Apostles or the Holy Spirit, however you want to view God's Acts in the book of Acts. And so what he does is he, he writes one letter and then writes the next letter. But the way he ends the first letter of Luke, he actually begins the first letter of Acts. It's the same. It mirrors together. It works together. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, remember how I wrote that last letter? Don't forget this part because it's very, very, very important when he wrote Acts. And it's so important. If you look at what's actually going on right at this time, it's so important. All of us should be reading what it is and recognize it as important. You see, because what it does is it records the last instruction of Jesus Christ before he ascends into heaven. And at that time, Jesus had just risen from the dead. I'm going to say that again. He just rose from the dead. And now he is walking amongst his disciples and his apostles, and he's explaining to them what's going on. And in Jesus' life at this time, his body is a little different than everybody else's body that's walking around at this time. In fact, you would say it's a semi-glorified state. It wasn't completely this white, holy transformation, mountain of transformation look that's up on this mountain where it's so white you can barely look at them, where they said, I don't know how to describe it, but it's whiter than the whitest white you've ever seen in white life. And so it's just this glowing Jesus. It's not that. In fact, it's different. It's kind of veiled. Veiled in such a way that people that know Jesus and that are walking with Jesus don't even really recognize him at times until he reveals himself. And so he has the ability to cloak himself and uncloak himself in that sort of way. He also has the ability to stand in the middle of a room then all of a sudden disappear. It's like a magician. He's gone. And it burns in their soul. They're like, we have to go tell people who this is. But then he also reappears almost as if he walks through a wall and all of a sudden is there in the corner amongst the apostles and disciples as well. And you, you think, who is this person? But he's also 100% human at this time in a way that we can't comprehend. They touch him. 
He says, feel my side. Look, it's still there. Look, I am the person. I am Jesus. And to prove it, he starts eating fish. He's like, look, I can eat fish. I'm human. And so it's this person at this time that's sharing this message to his disciples. If there was anybody that's ever lived at any time, the person you should listen to is the person at this time sharing this message for us. And Luke 24 ends this way. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are to witness of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Today, we're going to walk through what Jesus calls us to do. To be a part of going to our Jerusalem. You see, I went to this place called seminary. And seminary is a place where you pay $45,000 so that you can come up with sermon illustrations so that people can remember them. And points, so they start with the same letter. And you are going to see this today. I am going to use the full of what I paid for so that you might have this message and take it with you in memory. And so these words that I'm going to use today that are key points are all going to start with the same letter, the letter P. And that will help you remember it. So the first point that I'm making today for you is that there are two ways we view what God's called us to do. Number one, the plan. But number two, the process. The plan versus the process. And I think we have done a great job at a church as looking at the plan of what God wants to do. He wants to reach the world. Can we work on reaching the world and sharing the world? We want to be a part of that plan where we're a part of eternal life with him forever and ever and ever. But we've neglected what part of the process we're in. That God wants to use us in this process. Because after all, that's actually what the disciples heard. They recognized they were part of that process and they were faithful to be obedient to it. They go to their Jerusalem. So in Acts chapter one, to prove to you that it is written there as well, if you look at verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the father is set by his own authority. What does he say? Don't focus on the plan, but focus on the process. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, then the rest of the world. Now, here's what happens. The disciples leave there that day. They go and they pray together. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. The process of the Holy Spirit coming upon them has now happened. They are now the church. And they begin speaking in different languages. And everybody's saying, what? What's that? I hear people talking in my language. And they said, we are. And here's what we're talking about. And they begin sharing. Peter stands up and he begins preaching. And he declares the gospel of Jesus Christ. How all of Old Testament scripture pointed to that it has to be Jesus Christ that you have faith in. And if you believe in him and his 
his name alone, then you will have eternal life. And these people that hear this, they are, it says they are burned in the heart. It says it sears their heart. It says that they are burdened by this. And they ask, what must we do? I believe where they are burned in the heart right there and they feel this, they begin placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, you must repent and be baptized. And then they gather together and actually says in chapter 2, verse 46, it says they gather together every day in the temple courts. Two words, every day. That's not skipping a day. The second word or phrase, the temple courts. That is located in Jerusalem. They recognize they are part of the process and their obedient response is to do this every day because that's what Jesus has asked them to do. And so they begin meeting there. In fact, one day, chapter three, Peter and John decide to go up to the temple and by the way, temple in Jerusalem. As they walk through there, they meet a man that needs money. He seems to be lame. And he turns to him and says, I don't have any money, but I have something better than that. Be healed. Jesus Christ loves you. And the man believes in Jesus, follows them, and he begins you know, dancing. And they follow him to this place called Solomon's Portico. Solomon being a king from the Old Testament, a Jewish king. But also portico, meaning porch, meaning it's the outside edges on the east side of the city where it's the most populated part. So people listen to all this peace, would walk up and they'd walk into the portico and that's where they gathered together and they would hear the message of Jesus Christ. And many people began believing. In fact, so many believed that they actually pulled them aside and they arrested them and they began accusing them. This is what they say in chapter four. Chapter four, verse five says, they came together in Jerusalem, the priests, the scribes, the experts. Verse 16 says, what are we gonna do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done outstanding miracles. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. They recognized that everybody in Jerusalem was hearing what was going on. Because they were a part of the process and they stayed there in Jerusalem, being faithful to share what Jesus had done, being a witness. But it doesn't stop there. The Sanhedrin comes in later, and it actually in chapter 5, they begin addressing them. They said, what must we do with these people? It says, they filled Jerusalem with all of their teachings. That's the accusation to Peter. Filled Jerusalem with all their teachings. And Chapter 6, verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It isn't until chapter 8 that they leave Jerusalem. Do you know why? Not because they decided to. The church was forced out by Saul. And then they went to Judea and Samaria. You see, the disciples weren't worried about the plan. Numerous times it says the message was preached in Jerusalem over and over again, and many people heard it. But they didn't leave there. They said, we're faithful to be a part of the process. And God caused the plan to push out. And that's when they began to reach Judea and Samaria. You see, I think in our lives, a lot of times we forget that we are a part of this process. We forget that we are supposed to be where we are. Where is your Jerusalem? I mean, really, where, is your, where do you frequently go? Where are you navigating? Who are you around all the time? That's where you're supposed to share. That's where you're supposed to be salt and light. 
See, too many of us think that we have to create something to be an evangelist. When in actuality, we're all supposed to just respond to who God is faithfully in our lives so that he might evangelize through us. Um, because I've, been a, I've had some opportunities where I just luckily was faithful at the right time, Jesus has used me in some interesting ways. Um, when I was in uh, college, a little bit after college, actually, we were all coming back to the town that we all lived in, and me and my high school buddies uh, hung out again one night, evening. And as we were walking around the town, we left a restaurant, and there's God, I'm telling you, filled me with this spirit. It was just amazing what happened. I walked outside and I saw this opportunity sitting on the ground. It was a crumbled piece of paper. And God's light was shining down on it. And I could tell I needed to pick that thing up. So I walked over there, filled with the spirit, bent down with my knees. I used the might of the Lord Almighty himself. And I lifted that piece of trash up in the air and I held it. And the light that was once on that trash was on me now and all of my friends gasped in amazement and then as I gracefully tossed that thing it fluttered across the sky and landed gently and gracefully in the receptacle perfectly placed by God himself so that they might be in awe of what I just did and we began talking about Jesus that's actually not what happened what actually happened I saw trash on the ground I bent down, I picked it up, I placed it in the trash can. And one of my friends was blown away that I would pick up trash outside of a restaurant that I didn't own and said, why did you do that? And here's where I think God might have actually used me. I said, you know, ever since I started taking my faith seriously, it's kind of changed what I think is important in life. It led to a 30-minute conversation about Jesus. Because that was my Jerusalem. That's where I was. Those were my people. That was my town. I went back and told them what Jesus had done. And it, this weird little situation of picking up trash God would use. Who would have thought? I didn't orchestrate that. That wasn't a plan. It was just part of the process of following Jesus. And as I prayed, I didn't think that a piece of trash would lead to Jesus. Talk. But it did. It did. Are you faithful to respond in a way that's obedient to who Christ is in your daily life so that you might have opportunity to share? Your daily life, the people you're around. Recognize that we're in this process that God wants to use. Number two, pursuing versus presence. Pursuing versus presence. Too often we think that evangelism is this pursuit. We plan it out. We say, okay, here's what we're going to do. All right, you two, you get over here. You stand over there. You pray for us the entire time that we're going to do this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk up to this person. Let's fake laugh and pretend like we're telling a joke. <laughs> this person walks up. He says, what are y'all talking about? Boom, Jesus. Got him. All right, so we get him in the Jesus circle real quick. We start hitting him up with the gospel. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Well, you should. And he walks away. Now, the person that's praying come in from behind and say, what was all that about? And the person that says, what was all that about? Begins saying, I don't know. There's Jesus freaks over there talking about Jesus. Well, I tell you what. 
what? I believe in Jesus too. You do? Yeah, I do. And I honestly think that maybe you put me in his path so I could pray for you right now. And he said, well, I don't know about that. So he starts walking away and boom, we had our secret guy over there stashed behind the corner that comes around the corner and says, I'm so glad to see you. I've been praying for you this whole time. Converted. I'm telling you, it works every time. We view evangelism as if we got to plan out this process to be able to attack someone, say, ha, Jesus, and they would all of a sudden believe in Jesus and we get in front of them. But the truth is, the truth is, is God tends to use our presence in other people's lives regularly over and over and over again. And if they see the goodness of what God's done, one day they might open up. He wants to use your faithfulness over time. It's about presence. You know, this wonderful uh, verse in Scripture in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus goes to this uh, area surrounding the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis. And as he's walking up this hill and walking to this town, um, there's this area that's like this tomb area where this man is over there and he's demon possessed. In fact, uh, he's so possessed, there's over 70 demons in him, they think. Uh, he, he, his name is Legion, which means a great number and so of demons. And so as he walks out, he actually confesses. He said, are you going to get rid of us, Jesus? And he said, who are you? He says, I'm Legion. He said, can we just go in those pigs over there and fly off the cliff? He's like, go at it and have fun. And so the demons get out of it. And this man is so grateful that Jesus would heal him. And he follows him through town, telling everybody of what's happened. And many people become believers. And as Jesus leaves to get in his boat, the man tries to get in his boat with the disciples. And he actually turns to him. He says in Mark 5, 19, Jesus did not let him in. But he said to him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home to your family and friends and tell them how much the Lord has done to you, done for you. Go to those people you're presently around. Go to those people that are in your Jerusalem. Tell them the truth. In Randy Newman's book that we talked about uh, just a little, or read last month, what we realize is one of the small statements in there that I think has a profound impact on the way that we should view this is too often whenever we share our salvation story, we're so fixated on the conversion point, we miss who, sharing who we were and what God has freed us to be. That becomes good news. And they've created these devices where you can actually do that that will help you out. There's this 15-second testimony, 20-second testimony, 33-second testimony. That's probably because Jesus died at 33, so it's holy. Uh, One-minute testimony where it's designed so that you can walk through that. For me, mine would be, man, I was so wrapped, in in what, wrapped up in what other people thought of me that I, I, I lived my life almost enslaved to them, wanting to gain their approval. And I got to a point where I was just fed up with it. I didn't like my life. I didn't like my friends. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I've been running from you for so long. And I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do that. And from then on, he's given me this life of abundance and friends and approval. And the greatest news about that is the fact that while I was yet sinner, Jesus died for me. I didn't even do anything to gain his approval. He just wanted me and he wants you to do you have a story like that you see that's sharing in the presence of other people the interesting thing is we actually have somebody uh, that goes to our church who I wouldn't say is gifted at evangelism necessarily 
He's not a part of our evangelism teams. He's not in our grow groups. He, he, um, I, I'm not aware of him going out and sharing the gospel regularly with other people. But uh, one time last year, he picked up a book, A Questioning Evangelism, and he read through it. And he said, hey, this is actually kind of neat. I might want to use this sometime. And he was sitting at work with some of his friends. And at work, he was at this table. It was a Christmas party. And this guy sits next to him. He's a younger guy that just got married. He's a, he's a believer. And he's talking about how he really wants his marriage to be, you know, he wants to, he wants to live it for the Lord. He wants to honor him with his life. And, and this guy says to him, he says, you know, one thing that's really been beneficial to me is 1 Peter 4, 8. And he begins sharing that scripture out loud. Well, sitting on the other side of the table there's this guy from India who's not a believer. In fact, he grew up in a Catholic home, but whenever he came to America, he left the faith completely. And he views all religions as being kind of the same. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, there's a God up there, and if you're just good and follow one of those religions, it'll get you there kind of thing. And when, when my friend saw this or heard this, he actually turned to him. He said, you really think that? You think all religions are the same? He said, yeah, essentially, they all get you to the same place. He said, what about those cults that cause you to kill each yourselves? You think they believe the same thing? Well, no, I mean, they don't, they don't necessarily believe the same thing. Uh, he, and then he's, how do you know which ones? Do you think there's like some truth out there, some, something written that might help you out? He said, well, I guess it's possible. I mean, is it possible that God wrote something for man so that they can know who God is? And would you be interested in reading some of that if I could find you some? He said, yeah. So they're reading Mere Christianity together. Just because he was present. He wasn't looking for a Christmas party to preach the gospel. He was just present. I think more of our evangelism will probably look at us being present in the situation God's put us in versus trying to pursue someone. And that's what we want for you. So, the first one. We are part of the process. The second one. We should be present in wherever God's placed us. And the truth is, is we probably need to change the way that we interact with people if we're going to do that. It's easy to put in AirPods or put on headphones or to... Put your head down and not acknowledge people that you pass daily. The weird thing is, is that when you interact with people, you begin to care for them. Which brings us to our third point. Perception versus perceiving. Perception versus perceiving. Perception is a completed thought that you've got it figured out. And honestly, this probably makes us feel comfortable. When we view other people, we like to put them in a box so we can understand it so we feel better about ourselves. But the truth is we need to be constantly be perceiving. Now, this isn't easy for everybody. I know it's not easy for me because I took a Myers-Briggs test and it tells me I'm a judgmental guy. And so I love putting judgments on people. Ha, ah, I know you, you're crazy. Like, and that's kind of the way I live my life. But the truth is, there's probably a reason that person's crazy and I didn't give them an opportunity to share that their crazy is actually my crazy and I was putting that on them. And we could have connected. And if you live your life perceiving what's going on and giving people a chance, then guess what? You'll probably have a love for them. The truth is, is I don't think many of us actually really love other people because we don't view them the way that God views them. 
And I'm going to give you one small, narrow piece of scripture that will help you understand just a, just a little bit of the way that God views us. Because he cares about each individual human he's created. Every single one of us. If you're sitting here right now, I promise you he loves you and he has a purpose for you and he puts you here for a reason. And what it is, is that in the beginning when God created the heavens and earth, he spoke it into existence and he fixed the problem of it being chaotic and formless and he began forming it and then he began filling it and at the very end, after it was perfect, he could place his prized possession, which was mankind. See, the world will tell you, a lot of other religions will tell you that man is just a part of the world and it kind of works in this little mystical way where we all give to each other some sort of, but no, man is put in an elevated place for a purpose because God God wants his image to dwell in man so that the world may see it, so that we might know him. So he forms us different. He doesn't speak us into existence. Instead, it says in chapter 2 that he forms us with his hand and care as a craftsmanship. And three times it says that God created man. He made him that way. He made him that way intentionally. And then, as he, he cared about man, as he put him down, he got him to name all the animals of all creation, he realizes there's not a companion for this. This isn't good. If we created man in our image, then how can he be lonely, there be an insignificant companion? Because within the Godhead, there is a perfect companion across the board. And so if man is really going to reflect us, we need to give him a life to share with. And so he does something with man. Mankind is then laid down. Remember, this is before the sin. Man is laid down, and that one man was put to sleep, almost as if he was dead. And from his life, he gives life to somebody else, this perfect woman. And man was raised up from the dead to this woman that he was given so that she might have a fruitful life and they might have a fruitful life that goes on for and on and on and on. It's almost as if that moment gave us an image of what Jesus Christ would do for us from dying on the cross and raising from the dead to give us life. In fact, I think God knew this because when he created marriage and gave us marriage, later on he says it's the man that reflects who the Father is, who God is, who Jesus is, actually. And it's woman that reflects the many people that follow and love God. And their marriage is a sharing of the gospel. That's why any sort of defilement outside of that union defiles the gospel message that's supposed to be shared within that union. And if we viewed people the way God viewed people and cared for them in that one little story, we would have more compassion because God's designed every single individual that way. And you might be thinking, what, how... How am I supposed to have compassion on people that I don't respect? Number one, pray for compassion. Pray for compassion in your heart that you would change. Pray that you would change and love others and honor others and respect others so that you would take advantage of the opportunities provided for you. Number two, Begin praying for that other person that you come across regularly. Who are you around often in your Jerusalem? Pray for them. A believer, according to Scripture, and what Paul demonstrates is he continually prays without ceasing. Whenever you see them, if you know you have a meeting that day with somebody, pray for their soul. Don't just pray for that meeting. Pray for their soul as well. 
And then pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to live out your faith. You can always do the trash thing. But someone might not recognize it. Pray for opportunities. And can I be honest with you? The truth is, is there's more opportunities in our life than we recognize. In fact, it's desired by others more than we realize. Too often we feel like we're intruding their lives by bringing up something. But people want to know that they're cared for. Pray for your compassion to increase. Pray for others in your life that their souls would be changed, your neighbors, and pray for opportunities. We want to radically change and be a different church, not neglecting the things that God's used in the past, but add to it to grow in maturity so that we might reflect Jesus Christ as a body and love and honor him. And if you want to be a part of this and you want to take this seriously, there's a couple of things you can do other than your personal prayer. Number one, get on board even if you don't like the way that we're going in 2020, just be faithful to try it. Get on board with your church as we're seeking to do this and taking these monthly challenges. And if you are sitting there and you say, you know what? I want to respond to the way everywhere God places me in my Jerusalem. We're going to have an elder up here after the service to pray for people. And he would love to pray for you. If you have someone or you have some situation in your life that you want to reflect who God is and you know you need that prayer, come meet him after the service. I know that God wants to continue to use grace. And I know God's not done with us. We haven't reached the pinnacle. God wants us to be different because we're Christians. And he wants his name to be declared and made known. And that's what I want to be a part of. Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your salvation that you've given so many of us. And as we're sitting here today, many of us know people in our lives, people in our Jerusalem. And Lord, as we want to be a part of your process, Lord, help us to take seriously the life that you've given us. And in that life, let us be present with those that you've put in our path and help them to recognize it, Lord. And as we interact with them, help us to have a heart of compassion that's always perceiving what's going on so that we might see the opportunity that you might present to us to share the good news. It's by your son's name we pray, amen.